Father, here we are. We're longing to have you speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, that's not something that we can conjure up or that we can make happen, but as we dive into your word, as we talk about men of faith, Lord, we ask that you would transform our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Fill us with a passion to know you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Give me Scotland or I die. Does anybody know who prayed that prayer? It's a bold man, a Scottish man, who was passionate that Scotland was headed down the wrong road. Scotland was a country that had embraced Catholicism. You might have heard of Bloody Queen Mary. She was basically persecuting any Protestants. And John Knox was a man who was fighting against that established religion, fighting for what he believed was right. He actually eventually was under the tutelage of like John Calvin and some of the great reformers like that. But in Scotland, he was praying the prayer, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. Well, he ended up rebuking Queen Mary for some of the stuff he didn't hold back like maybe he should have. And he ended up being a galley slave. It's like, have you ever prayed a prayer and you're like, where is the answer? Why aren't things happening like I thought that they should have? Here he is praying this bold prayer like, God, you could, you could just put me to death if that's what it takes. Just save Scotland. And he ends up being thrown into a ship. So I don't know if you know what a galley slave is, but in this ship, they made people row the ships. They had their galley slaves. And here he is rowing away. This is a man who later would say that a man with God is always in the majority. Sure didn't look like it, though. <laughs> he's thrown in. He's a slave in a galley ship. He's rowing away. And it doesn't look like Scotland's being saved. Why is it that sometimes prayers... Have, have any of you been praying a prayer for a long time and you're wondering, Lord, I know this is... I, th I think this is according to your will and I'm praying this prayer. What is going on? We're going to look at a story in the Bible that I think really unveils what is taking place. We're going to go back a few thousand years to uh, Babylon. And in Babylon, we find a captive. Now, you know the story of Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They were taken captives because King Zedekiah in Jerusalem refused to surrender to the Babylonians who were coming and they were um, sieging Jerusalem and he refused to, to surrender to them. And so they are taken captives and to be taken captive back then was not a fun thing. I mean, you were put in chains, you're dragged across a desert some 900 miles. Can you imagine what that's like? <laughs> you be dragged across the desert for 900 miles and you think, I'm the one that has the true God, what's happening? Why aren't my prayers being answered? A lot of people asked for Jerusalem to be delivered. But I think that Daniel was clinging on to something, something that Jeremiah had said to him. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah chapter 29, and verse 11, actually, we'll start in verse 10. Jeremiah 29 and verse 10. So Jeremiah prophesied, and these are things that Daniel would have had access to. He would have been able to receive these prophecies. They were contemporaries. Daniel, uh, Jeremiah 29 and verse 10. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word to, toward you and cause you to turn to this place. 
For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's a hard thing to cling to when you're being drugged across the desert, maybe even being made a eunuch, whatever difficult things were happening to him. And yet here's this prophecy of Jeremiah saying, God, actually, even though you're going to be a captive for 70 years, he has good plans for you. He has a, a plan for a hope and a future for your life. To cling to promises like that when we're going through really difficult times takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of faith to cling to God in those times. Verse 12 says, Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I think that this may have been what drove Daniel in the amazing life that we see that he lives in the book of Daniel. I think seeing what Jeremiah had prophesied, he knew the 70-year prophecy. We're told that later on in Daniel. He was even praying for it to be fulfilled. So he must have also read these verses and known that God did have a purpose, that God did have a hope for him. It's interesting, in the book, uh, I think it's actually in Manuscript Releases, Volume 4, page 124, talking about Daniel as he's taken captive. It says, Daniel in Babylon chose the wisdom that would vindicate the honor of God. He and his three companions decided that it was in the wise purpose of God that they had been taken as captives. Wait a second. They're taken as captives, dr drug across the desert, and they believe it's in the wise purpose of God. What incredible faith that is, isn't it? To be able to really believe that you can surrender to God to that place of saying, hey, even if I get drug off as a captive across the desert, it's in the wise purposes of God. God knows what he's up to. I can trust him. I've given my life to him. And just like the first session, we talked about Enoch and how God cares for every single detail of our lives. Daniel recognized that. He, he and his friends, they said, this is in the good purposes of God. We're, we're taken as captives to the wicked and corrupt city of Babylon. So they did not leave their religion behind, it goes on, them in their own nation. They determined that they would not devote their time to complaint, but that they would be cheerful and faithful in all their business transactions. They determined we're going to be cheerful about this. We're going to be happy about this because God is bringing something good out of this. Jeremiah has said he has a plans for a hope and a future. So we're going to trust that, even though we don't see any of that happening in our life. That's what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, Hebrews 11:6 6 says, must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. We've got to believe who God is. That's what faith is all about. You know, for a long time, I kind of pictured faith as being like, if I just believe enough, then I'll get the stuff in my life that I want. Which is like so selfish, right? Faith is really grasping who God is and trusting him even in difficult times. I mean, you read through Hebrews 11 and you have the people who subdue nations, and then you have the people that are captured and tortured, and all terrible things happen to them. Maybe Daniel's one of the people that Paul's referring to. You have Isaiah listed there who is sawn in two. It's actually in Hebrews 11. Difficult things happen, but yet they clung to God. They said, God is good. He has a purpose. He has a hope in my life. And when you have that kind of faith, it opens up incredible doors. And we see that in the life of Daniel, right? We see the incredible things that, that God does in Daniel's life. So let's go to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, they're taken off as captives. And as they get into 
Babylon, the tests begin, like right from the beginning. So in the third year, this is verse 1, of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. But then verse 8, so he's hauled off, and, and one of those who is... Uh, was was taken was Daniel, right? And verse 8 says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies. You see that purpose of heart, that wholehearted seeking after God. He's following what Jeremiah 29, 13 says. If you seek me, you'll find me. When you search for me with all your heart, he's wholehearted about it because he believes that God is good. That's what should motivate our seeking after God, is believing that he's got a reward for us, that He is good, and He is the reward, really. All we need is Him. Well, let's look at some of the experiences in Daniel's life. I mean, this one is an amazing one. He stands up, and, and a powerful thing in our walk with God is fasting. And here you see Daniel fasting, and you see an incredible result from it. After they fast for 10 days, and they're fast. So there's different kinds of fasts you find in the Bible. You find fasts where completely abstaining from food and water, you find ones where they're just not eating food that's especially tasty, or you find fasts like here where they're, they're just eating vegetables. Um, in our lives, we can fast in a lot of different ways. It might be like Sean was talking about last night, fasting from Instagram, just to clear our mind, to give us a focus on Jesus. It might be that we fast from the radio as we're driving along, or whatever things in our life that will remind us to go to Jesus there's an app on your phone that you tend to go to a lot, move that app or delete it for a little while and in place of it, put the Bible app. Then you'll find your muscle memory will take you right to that app and then you'll open the Bible and it'll remind you, yeah, maybe I should actually spend some time in the Bible instead of what I normally would be doing. Little things like that can, can help you. So here they're, they're on a fast and it's for a different purpose, right? But it's to, to show God faithful and God shows up in a powerful way. They end up being 10 times wiser. But then let's go on to the next chapter, chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, you have this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has of the statue with the different metals in it. And he tries to get his wise men to interpret the dream to him, and they're not able to do it. And then they come to Daniel. In verse 14, then with counsel, uh, actually, sorry, verse 13. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men because they couldn't answer about his dream. And he realized that they were playing him. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill him. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. Verse 16, so Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek the mercies, mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So what did Daniel do in a moment of crisis? He prayed. He, he answers with wisdom, asked for more time, and he prays. How did he pray? What? 
He prayed with his prayer group. He went back to some trusted friends. He pulled them together, and he began to pray with some trusted friends. I can't tell you how much praying together with other people is transformative in, in my life. I have friends from when I was at the seminary. I talked about it a little bit earlier, 2010 to 2012, that were really spiritual men that I looked up to. And since that time, we've continued to pray together, usually by conference call or something, because they're spread throughout the country. But it's so meaningful to me to pray with them. At my church, there's several people that I pray with on a weekly basis. And to spend time praying with people who are focused in the same direction has an impact in your life. It has a, a real impact here for Daniel. But before we go there, let's look at a promise in... Uh, Spirit of Prophecy, Manuscript Releases, Volume 8, page 190. It says, The Lord has promised that where two or three are gathered together in His name, there will He be in the midst of them. That's Matthew chapter 18. Promise that Jesus comes in our midst when there's two of us praying together. Those who meet together for prayer will receive an unction from the Holy One. There is great need of secret prayer. We talked about that earlier. But there is also need of several Christians meeting together to unite with earnestness their petitions to God. In these small companies, Jesus is present, and the love of souls is deepened in the heart, and the Spirit puts forth His mighty energies that human agents may be exercised in regarding to save those who are lost. Don't neglect to get together with other people and pray. Sometimes we say, well, I have my own prayer time. But get your church together. Get your friends together. Get somebody together to pray with you, even if it's just over the phone. Pray with other people. Pray with your family. Take time and pray with others because there's more power when we pray together. Uh, this is Manuscript Releases, Volume 9, page 303. This is again talking about the promise in Matthew 18. It says, The promise is made on condition that the united prayers of the church are offered, and in answer to these prayers there may be expected a what? A power greater than that which comes in answer to private prayer. The power given will be proportionate to the unity of the members and their love for God and for one another. Isn't that just like God? Our unselfish, loving Heavenly Father who is all about, I mean, the Trinity is about having unselfish love. So if we were just able to go in our closet and pray to such an extent that we could accomplish things with our own prayers, it could turn selfish. But instead, God has us come together and there's a power greater when we gather together in prayer. So that's what Daniel and his friends did. And that's what people have done throughout history. Men of God who were earnest about seeking God. You have John Wesley and his holy club that he was, it was termed by other, other people who were kind of mocking them. But it made a huge impact on the world as he began to get together with people to pray and to help other people to get together and to pray. God can move with power when we pray together. In fact, if you fast forward to the life of Ellen White. Maybe you've read in the first volume of the testimonies about Ellen White's life. Do you know how she had her first vision? Where she was? She was in a, at her friend's house in prayer with some other ladies. And that's exactly what happens here with Daniel. He's there, he's praying, verse 18, and then verse 19, then the secret was revealed. After he'd taken time in prayer with other people, the secret was revealed. The spirit of prophecy was given to Daniel. I mean, you think about it. 
the book of Daniel is something that we cling to as Seventh-day Adventists. I mean, it's so crucial to understand what's happening in the world today. And Daniel's first vision here comes because of a prayer meeting where he gets together with others to pray. God pours out his spirit and gives gifts of the spirit in a special and powerful way. And we get together and we pull people together to pray. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Powerful things happen when we pray together. We learn that from Daniel's life, and Daniel's life is an incredible life. I mean, you think about it, like you watch in politics today, what happens when you have the transition from one leader to another leader in the United States? A bunch of people are terminated, right, and put out of the way. But you have Daniel, time after time, going between empires, even, and yet he is still like second in the kingdom or sometimes third in the kingdom. He's always there being trusted for his wisdom. And it was that connection with God, that faithfulness to God. One of the most awesome places that that shows up, we'll look at a couple more of them here in the life of Daniel, is in Daniel chapter 6. Let's go to Daniel chapter 6 and verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one. So this is a phenomenal thing. The empire has just changed hands, and now Darius is putting Daniel above these satraps who we assume were probably native to that kingdom. And here's Daniel rising up. He's a Jew not even a Babylonian, but he was serving in the Babylonian nation, and now the Persians are, are elevating him, the Medes and the Persians. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Daniel just keeps on rising in the ranks because of his faithfulness to God. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. I wonder in my life if somebody came to look through the records of Zach Page in order to find some, some problem in my life, would I be faithful enough to the laws of the land in order to stand up as being faithful? Daniel was. Daniel was faithful not only in his religion, but also in the laws of the land. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. This is phenomenal. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. The one thing they knew about Daniel was that he was a man of prayer. That he was constantly on his knees. The one way that they could attack Daniel, this gives us a picture of why it was that Daniel was experiencing all that he was, he was a man of prayer. And people knew that about him. So when they decide to set up a test, they set it up about his God and specifically about prayer. But Daniel is so committed to prayer. You probably know the story that 
he continues to pray three times a day. Now, think about that. To stop and set aside some amount of time three times a day, he's almost the top in the kingdom. Imagine, let's say, Donald Trump has one of his top cabinet members who says, I got to go because I need to go spend some time in prayer. I'll be back in half an hour, <laughs> in the middle of the day. Three times a day, it's like he's got to go and he's got to pray. How much stuff do you think Daniel probably had to get done? Daniel was a busy man, right? Daniel had tons of stuff to be doing. But like we talked about earlier with Joshua, when, when we go to God in prayer, we're not losing time because God accomplishes the work for us. He's the only one that can really accomplish that. And we'll see that even more in the life story of Daniel. But it's interesting, uh, in Signs of the Times, February 10, 1980, sometimes we think, well, today it wouldn't be convenient to pray three times a day, right? That would be a little hard to set off that kind of time. Well, it says this, It is just as convenient, just as essential for us to pray three times a day as it was for Daniel. Just as essential for you and I to take that time aside to pray with God. Not just in the morning, but throughout the day. Prayer is the life of the soul, the foundation of spiritual growth. In your home, before your family, before your workmen, you should testify to this truth. Tell them that if they will find heart and voice to pray, God will find answers to their prayers. Tell them not to neglect their religious duties. Exhort the brethren to pray. Another one, Review and Herald, March 1, 1892. Why is it that we have so little freedom in prayer? It is because we have not educated ourselves in the exercises of devotion. There's an education that has to take place, a, a habit that has to be built. If we prayed three times a day as Daniel did, we should be able to say, I place my hand in the hand of Jesus and I will not gratify the enemy by talking doubt. I will not dishonor my Redeemer. That consistency in prayer, that continually going to God, not out of a sense of duty, but like we talked about with Enoch, because he's delightful, because we love him, because he is a rewarder of those who seek him, and he himself is the reward, the, where we find fullness of joy. And to be in his presence is really what heaven is all about. And heaven can start here and now for us as we seek God in prayer. So Daniel does that, and you think about how God was willing to step up in such a mighty way. It didn't look like it. I once... Uh, or actually just recently, somebody was talking about somebody who's seen a lot of answers to prayer in their lives. And they were asked, well, which of them was your favorite? And the guy responded, none of them. Are you kidding? They were all difficult. I mean, at the time when you're going through the, the trial, like Daniel, you're getting thrown into a lion's den. It's not fun at the time. Looking back, you can praise God and say, this is amazing. He shut the mouths of lions. But at the time, it takes clinging to who you know God is, clinging to the one that you know has a future and a hope for you, even though you're being tossed into a lion's den. You just continue to hope in who God is. And God saved him out of the lion's den. There's an interesting story about a man named J.N. Andrews. J.N. Andrews was one of the pioneers of the Adventist church. One guy that, I mean... There's so many powerful things that he wrote, but one of them was A History of the Sabbath, I believe it's titled, and it made a huge impact on the church and on many people in understanding the Sabbath. So 
When he's writing this book, he actually moved into the Review and Herald offices and he put a bed in the editorial office. So he's there living in the editorial office, which meant that he had no, you know, during the day there's people in there working, right? And he's not able to go to his bedroom or anything like Daniel in order to go and pray. So it's interesting. He's a busy man. He's writing this book about prayer. And this is what uh, M.S. Boyd tells us about Elder Andrews. He says, Elder Andrews said he must find a place where he could pray for divine help and clarity of thought. He searched through the building but could find no place for retirement except in the attic where back numbers of the periodicals were stored. This he converted into his sanctum. And frequently we would see him winding his way through the composing room to an almost perpendicular ladder which led to the dimly lit, ill-ventilated Ill place where he would spend hours pleading for wisdom to present correctly the truths that have since enlightened the world regarding the history of the Sabbath. There's no, it's not by chance that these men of old had the experiences with God that they did, that they were able to make such an impact on the world, that they were able to share the Sabbath truth in such powerful ways. He was able to do it because of his connection with God. And as he was there writing and couldn't figure out what to write, rather than studying another book, he would go and he'd pray. Then he would come back. I mean, he obviously was a very learned man, but at the same time, he was willing to take time out of the middle of his day to take time to pray. I love this also. Manuscript 24, 1891. It says, None need feel that they are too busy to pray, too full of busy business cares to spend an occasional 15 minutes to seek counsel from God. It's practical, right? So you're going through the day, don't know what to do, you're feeling stressed, you're, you're recognizing that you're not resting in Jesus' care, take 15 minutes to pray. Nobody is too busy to take that time. And maybe at first 15 minutes feels like a long time. Build up to it. Start with a couple minutes, but take time to pray. Be willing to interrupt your day to pray, and God will make you more efficient. My brethren, make God your entire dependence. You know how it says in Second um, Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. To go and pray in the middle of your day is a really humbling thing. Because during that time, you're not accomplishing anything that people can see, right? You're only relying entirely on what God can do. It's really humbling yourselves and just saying, God, I need your help. And God comes through. It may, you may not see it instantly. Daniel didn't see it instantly. Daniel was a captive in Babylon. When you do otherwise, and this it goes on to say, then it is time for a halt to be called. Stop right where you are and change the order of things. Such practical advice. Uh, Desire of Ages, page 362, says this, As activity increases and men become successful in doing any work for God, there is danger of trusting the human plans and methods. There is a tendency to pray less and to have less faith. The more successful a person is, the more that we have that tendency. But you don't see that in Daniel's life. We need to look constantly to Jesus, realizing that it is His power which does the work. While we are to labor earnestly for the salvation of the lost, we need to take that time for, for outreach. 
we must also take time for meditation, for prayer, and for the study of the Word of God. Only the work accomplished with much prayer and sanctified by the merit of Christ will in the end prove to have been efficient for good. That's challenging to me. Because I've spent a lot of time doing stuff that I felt like was productive and trying really hard at stuff. Or sometimes it's those things that I feel the most confident about. You know, the things that I've done a thousand times and I don't have to spend time in prayer. Whereas when I know that it's something that I'm not as competent in doing, then I know that I need to spend more time in prayer. But only the work accomplished with much prayer and sanctified by the merit of Christ will in the end prove to have been efficient for good. Desire of Ages 362. There's power. There's Things are accomplished in the great controversy when we pray. And we see that in the, the, the life of Daniel. Um, Daniel, who is willing to humble himself, um, if we were to look in, in Daniel chapter 9, we would see Daniel praying a beautiful prayer. Um, time, and time, time and time again, you see Daniel praying prayer after prayer. Daniel chapter 9, he's praying because the 70 years are coming to a conclusion. And he realizes that just because prophecy is being fulfilled doesn't mean that God has to come through with it if, if his people aren't faithful to their end of the covenant. So he prays this prayer, confessing to God, a beautiful prayer in Daniel chapter 9. I encourage you to read it later on. But Daniel chapter 10, we're going to dive into this a little bit deeper. In the, verse 1, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. You ever prayed for something? earnestly prayed for something and wondered why it takes so long to get an answer. This chapter pulls back the veil to reveal to us what's going on. Here you have Daniel and he's fasting and praying. There's, Jesus says this kind only comes out by fasting in prayer when they could, the disciples couldn't cast out the demoniac. There's extra special power available when we have, to have that focused prayer and fasting and prayer. So here he is, fasting in prayer for three full weeks. In that time, you must be wondering, God, what's going on? Are you answering? Is there anything happening? At this time, we know that he was probably praying for the exile. That they've, by this point, they have returned. They've built the foundation of the temple. They've maybe completed even portions of the temple. Uh, they haven't yet been able to finish the walls. I think it had been about 69 years into being in the land there. And Daniel hears about, actually, maybe this, this, this story may be a little earlier on. Daniel hears about the Samaritans and all that's, I think this was actually when they first laid the foundation. He hears about how the Samaritans are coming and they're beginning to cause problems. You can read about that in Ezra. And as he reads about, as he hears about that, we believe that this may have been why he's so earnest in prayer, because he recognizes that there is need for God to show up. Because the king is not helping them like they need to be helped. And so he's pleading with God, pleading that something would happen in order for, for things to go better. 
So, if you go down, we're going to skip over the next few verses. We'll come back to them in just a minute. But it says in verse 10, Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, the words that I speak to you in... O man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Isn't it beautiful? Daniel, man greatly beloved. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. From the very moment that you prayed, Daniel, I was sent. The very moment that you started praying, I was sent by God from heaven. Powerful. When we pray, there are things that happen in the great controversy. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There is a battle going on behind the scenes that is huge, that is epic, and prayer is powerful in that battle. Here Daniel's praying and fasting for three weeks. And here the angel comes and says, I left at the very beginning of that. And then he gives us a little insight to what's going on. Continue in verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. We're not sure exactly the prince of Persia could on the one hand be an, an evil angel, some believe, who is over that, that region and over, over the um, Cambyses who was there, there in Persia. Or it could also be referring to Cambyses' son who was threatening basically the, what was going to happen um, when he took, took reign, that he wouldn't give a favorable ruling for the Jews. Not sure which, but either way, there's this great controversy battle going on over huge things. I mean, these are, this is the most powerful empire in the world. And angels are wrestling for the minds and hearts of those in rulership. The prince of, kingdom, of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Suddenly he says, Michael came and fought on my behalf. Michael showed up and everything changed. After that, he says that I, I came came to you. So who is Michael? Jesus. How do we know that Michael is Jesus? Put you on the spot. That's not really fair, huh? <laughs> let's go to Jude, and let's just look at it really quick, just because there's some powerful insights that we gain about who Michael is and what he does. Go to Jude. It's just one chapter long, right before Revelation. In verse 9, it says, Yet Michael the archangel. So who is Michael? The archangel. Okay, so archangel in the Greek basically means the ruler of the angels. Doesn't necessarily mean an angel, but it means the one who has authority over the angels. So that part's clear here, right? Let's find out what else we see in this verse. In contending with the devil, what's he doing? He's contending, he's disputing. He's in a fight with the devil, right? There's a battle going on. And specifically, like he said, over when he disputed about the body of Moses. 
dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So there's a wrestling going on over the body of Moses. And we know that Moses went up and died on the mountain, and then, obviously, he was resurrected because he appears and talks to Jesus later on. So something happens here. We know that Michael is our archangel, and we know that he's doing something that has to do with resurrection, right? So let's jump over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. So here, Paul is reminding and comforting the church, saying, hey, there is a second coming. There is hope. There is a resurrection. So that in this resurrection passage, it doesn't name the name Michael. So the name Michael only shows up in apocalyptic prophecy. It shows up in the book of Jude. It shows up in the book of Daniel. It shows up in the book of Revelation. But here it does name, I mean, it, it implicates him because it says in verse 16, for the Lord himself, who would that be? Jesus. Jesus is coming back. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. When Jesus comes back and he yells out to the graves for people to come forth, he uses the voice of an archangel. Is that clear? Does that make sense? That, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. So Jesus comes back and he uses the voice of the archangel. Okay? Now let's look at one other verse in, uh, about this in, in John. John chapter 5, verse 24, it says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of who? The Son of God. And those who hear will live. Okay, so whose voice do they hear? The Son of God. And whose voice do they hear in 1 Thessalonians 4.16? The voice of the archangel. They're one and the same. He is the ruler over the angels. I think another way to describe, I mean, there's so many different names for Jesus throughout the Bible. But Lord of hosts is another one. And what does that really mean? It means the ruler over the angels, right? Lord of hosts. He has many who are within his reign. Um, but when Michael shows up, again and again, it has to do with battling with Satan. You remember what happens in Revelation chapter 12, right? Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and then there was not a place found for them in heaven. Again and again, when the name Michael is used specifically to describe Jesus as fighting with angels against Satan. Does that make sense? So when he comes back for the resurrection, he comes back with his angels to dispute Satan's rule of death, and only Jesus has any right to raise the dead. We see that again and again throughout the New Testament. So, going back to Daniel, we see here that he says, Michael came, this prince came, and when he showed up, everything changed. So a couple of things that we're, we're noticing so far, and one is that when we pray, 
Things happen in the great controversy. Even though Daniel had been praying for three whole weeks and it seemed like nothing was happening, something was happening. And in the, book, uh, in the Review and Herald, July 4, 1893, it says this about a praying person. And I believe this is true of Daniel. Here he is, a humble, praying person. And I believe this is why such powerful things are happening in his life. In the sight of men, the self-sufficient worker may seem to be moving the world. But in the sight of God, the humble wrestler moves heaven. The hosts of God are interested in the humble, praying man who dares not make a move without first coming in prayer into the presence of God to counsel with the Omnipotent. That was Daniel. He knew the Lord of hosts. He knew who Michael was. He knew that when he prayed, that things happened in heaven, that he could trust in God, that prayer moved heaven. And a lot of times the world doesn't recognize that. The person who's self-sufficient, who's able to go through their day without taking time in prayer, who has all the right words, all the right answers, who's doing all the right stuff, may appear to be more successful. But in the eyes of heaven, the one who's on their knees in their closet praying is the one that heaven sees is really doing powerful things. In the book Education, page 304, it says, Not until the providences of God are seen in the light of eternity shall we understand what we owe to the care and interposition of his angels. Celestial beings have taken an active part in the affairs of men, education page 304. That's what we see happening here. You have the prince of Persia who's not really willing to help Daniel out here, or to help the Jews out in Jerusalem, but the angels are wrestling for his mind. They're wrestling, trying to give him uh, favor, to give Jerusalem favor. Selected Messages, book 2, page 377 says, Ministering angels are waiting about the throne. You ever thought of angels like just waiting on something? What is, what is it that they're waiting for? Waiting about the throne to instantly obey the mandate of Jesus Christ to answer every prayer offered in earnest living faith. When you pray from that moment that you start praying, the great controversy, there is something happening. You may have been wrestling for something for years and years and wondering, why is nothing happening? I don't see an answer to this prayer. God's at work. Things are happening. The great controversy is going on, and God gives us this picture here to reveal to us that He does show up in answer to prayer, that He is at work, that angels are wrestling, that, that things are happening when we pray. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, page 345 and 346 says, Satan cannot endure to have his powerful rival appealed to, for he fears and trembles before his strength and majesty. At the sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole host trembles. That's because angels are sent in answer to your prayer. When you begin to pray, things happen in the great controversy, and it can take time for them to wrestle over the heart of that child that you've been praying for for years, to be wrestling over the issue that needs to be solved in your life. It can take a lot of time, but God is at work when you pray. Things are happening when you pray. And when we pray in faith, realizing that there's a great controversy going on, that God is at work, it makes all the difference in the world. So earlier on in chapter 10, go back to Daniel chapter 10, and we'll read in verse 4. This is after he's been fasting for 21 days. 
I believe that this is recorded here so that we can recognize not only the power of the angels that come to our rescue, but the power of Michael, who wrestles with the devil on our behalf. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, I was by the side of the great river that is the Tigris. Now, you notice in verse 3, it says, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. They counted whole weeks as being seven days. So when three whole weeks, what would that end on for a Jew? The Sabbath, right? So each week ended with Sabbath. That was the seventh day of the week. And here it says, now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, likely it's on a Sabbath and he's by a river, which interestingly enough, when they, where was it that Paul was? I think he was in Philippi. When they found the, the people out worshiping on the Sabbath, the Jews would go out to the river when they were in a Gentile place or in captivity. They go out to the river to worship on Sabbath. So here you have Daniel by the river, probably on a Sabbath. Can you think of another vision that happened to a prophet on the Sabbath? John, right? And John chapter 1 is actually parallels this very, very closely. Even the picture that he sees, and the picture that he sees is of Jesus. We know for sure there it says the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is and is to come. So here, this again is going to reveal to, to Daniel Jesus himself. Verse 5, I lifted my eyes and looked... And behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Uphaz. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but had great terror fall upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. We're given a picture in Scripture of Jesus as being like a lamb. We're given a picture of Jesus being gentle. And then were times where we see Jesus as Michael, the one who fights for us. And when you're going through a rough time, a difficult time, and you go to your knees in prayer, this picture in your mind. You're praying to the Lord of hosts who has power to send mighty angels out in answer to prayer, but also who himself can come, whose face is like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire. This is a powerful being that you're praying to. What do you need to be afraid of when you're praying to a being like that? When you pray to Jesus, you can have confidence that you're praying to the Lord of hosts, and that He will answer your prayers. Go over to the last time that Daniel mentions Michael, Daniel chapter 12. This is at the end of Daniel chapter 11, which gives us this huge swath of history, a lot of detailed prophecies, and honestly, we're probably right in the, the last few verses there of Daniel chapter 11. Amazing prophecy with a lot of detail of history. And then it says, after this comes to a close, verse 12 Verse 1, at that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time your people will be delivered, 
everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Here again we have a picture of our Redeemer standing up to fight for us. In Daniel chapter 7 it says that the courts came and, and that the books were opened and that the, the, the court was seated. So there's an investigative judgment that goes on in which they're looking at the books. Jesus himself told us that we should rejoice that our name's written in the books in heaven. So there's this investigative judgment going on, and Michael is the one, our high priest, fighting on our behalf. And then there's going to come a moment when those who have made their choice for Jesus, their hearts have been sealed. And those who have chosen not to follow Jesus, they're not going to be fought for by Michael. But when Michael stands up and that great time of trouble comes, it's so that Michael can deliver his people. <laughs> the time of trouble takes place on this earth, but there's going to be a people who are sheltered in the arms of Jesus, who are trusting in Michael, the one who fights for them against the devil, who they know that with God, they are in the majority. No matter what happens in this world, as the world comes crushing in around them, as the Sunday law goes into effect, as things take place to threaten their liberty, they can trust. They know who their Redeemer is, that He lives, and at the end, end He will take His stand on the earth. You can trust in Jesus. You can trust in Him coming to deliver you. And here you see that it, he, he comes for the purpose of resurrection again. And then verse 3 says this, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Those who have won others to Jesus. There's something special about that. And I believe that that happens in a special way through wrestling in prayer. That's what John Knox was wrestling in prayer for, right? He was wrestling for all of Scotland. John Knox was praying while Queen Mary was oppressing people, and eventually... That slave who was in the galleys was able to escape, and he escaped and uh, learned more from John Calvin. And then he came back to Scotland, and he continued to pray. He continued to pray that prayer, Give me Scotland, or I die. One day, he had a group of friends over. They were praying together. Like we talked about, there's power when we pray together. They were praying late into the night when suddenly John Knox said, The victory has been won. And everybody said, well, What is he talking about? We don't know. What do you mean? The next day, the news came that Mary had died. And after that, there was more freedom granted to the Protestants. And Scotland was able to be released from the bondage and oppression of the Catholic religion. In Evangelism, page 294, talks about the story of John Knox. It says, if we had the interest that John Knox had when he pleaded before God for Scotland, we shall have success. He cried, give me Scotland, Lord, or I die. Because if we had that kind of passion, that heart for our loved ones, for our family, if we pled like John Knox. Now, for John Knox, it didn't immediately appear like God was answering that prayer. He was thrown as a slave into a galley ship, but he continued to pray on. He didn't give up, just like Daniel praying, because there's a great controversy going on. There are things happening while we're praying, and he continued to pray on. goes on to say, And when we take hold of the work 
and wrestle with God, saying, I must have souls. I will never give up the struggle. We will find that God will look upon our efforts with favor. Evangelism, page 294. We wrestle with God. There's power. Angels go out. Michael himself shows up, the, the being who's, whose face is like lightning and whose eyes are like a torch of, uh, of flames, who wrestles in our behalf against the devil. Queen Mary actually said this, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. <laughs> this queen who had so much power, she feared John Knox on his knees more than anything else, more than thousands and thousands of soldiers in all of those armies. Because maybe she recognized, too, that there's power in the great controversy when a man's on his knees. And truly, God showed up. <clears throat> John Knox is known for saying, a man with God is always in the majority. Don't give up in praying. I know that each one of us probably have stuff in our life that we're wrestling for, that we're asking God for, and maybe we don't understand why the answer hasn't come yet. Keep praying. Things are happening. God is at work. Maybe He's at work on our own heart to change our own heart, to recognize that what we're asking for isn't really the best. Or maybe He's at work in somebody else's life wrestling for their salvation. If you're pleading for somebody's salvation, don't give up in praying. George Mueller, that man of faith we talked about earlier, he picked five friends that he began to pray for. And day in and day out, he would pray for those five friends, no matter what. If he was sick, if he was tired, it didn't matter. He would pray for those five friends who didn't know Jesus. As he prayed, I wish I had the, the quote from his autobiography with me. He said that as he prayed, the first one was converted within, I think it was just like a couple years. Then he prayed on, and two more were converted. But as he prayed and prayed and prayed for 30 years, I think the other one may one more may have been converted, but until the day he died, the last one wasn't converted. But not long after he died, that one was converted. God is working in answer to prayer. My own dad's parents were praying for him for years and years before God brought him around. My uncle, my grandparents were praying for him for years, my dad's brother, and they didn't even ever get to see him come back to God. My parents prayed for me for years, and I don't have a good explanation for why my life suddenly changed. It was totally heading in one direction when suddenly God began to give me different desires and change. And, you know, some people say, well, this person did this or this thing happened. And I don't have specific things like that, but God radically shifted the direction of my life. And I believe it's because I've got a praying mom and dad. So don't stop praying for the people in your life. There is power when we pray. And there's power in our relationship with Jesus, too. John 16, 24 says, Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be made full. There's fullness of joy when we see Jesus working in answer to prayer. So let's take a little time to pray. Why don't we actually end and just, you could pray in twos or threes together, um, just to ask God to give us hearts to pray. We saw there at the beginning that to pray together it's such a powerful thing. If you don't feel comfortable with that, that's okay. Just bow your head and you can just pray on your own. But if you don't mind, we can just join together in a couple different groups here and we can just plead that God would give us hearts to pray, that He would pour out a spirit of prayer on us. This media was brought to you by Audioverse. 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.